0: That 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 makes sense. I I I'll bounce off of what Daniel said this morning. To me the most helpful aha clicking moment was uh it was realizing what faith is. We we live in a postmodern age that if anything champions people holding self contradictory beliefs, that's viewed as a positive, you know. Um, that we have contradictory beliefs and thoughts, and that what we believe by no means affects what we do. We also live in a world that has privatized faith and religion. So people are used to what you believe in your private religious life is completely separate and ought to have no effect whatsoever with, say, the way we are on your bakery, right? So, so we've absolutely separated and come up with a very strange view of what faith is. Faith is, can be in our culture something that has no effect in real life can even contradict other things that you think are true and yet you can believe it that's what our culture is saying faith can be and i think james talking about that faith that thing that you want to call faith that doesn't do anything isn't saving faith that that to me is that what is the nature of faith faith is the confidence that i then go and act upon and so that's for me, the, the clicking aha moment, or as I, as I sometimes will say it, we, we live out what we believe in every given moment. If you're looking for uh, an investment, you got some money you want to invest, and I come to you and I say, i got this great tip on this stock. It's going to skyrocket. Whether you believe me or not will be seen in whether or not you invest in the company. right? <laughs> if you're looking for an investment, and I say, i got this great investment, there's no use saying you believed me if you were too afraid to invest the money. The, the confidence is what caused you to act. Um, and so that I think is what James is getting at, is dealing with a notion which I think is very helpful for our present day where people are used to, I believe XYZ, you know, I live ABC. And so we're never, yeah, the, the, uh, the understanding and the implications of Christ's Lordship, I'm still learning. There's new areas like, oh wow, I guess I've been holding on to that for myself. That happens. Right. 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 What I, what I would say to me, the critical question with the lordship issue, and, and I've, I, the lordship term is used as a pejorative against those who held to it, but I'm fine holding the term if we understand what we're talking about. Um, when anyone comes to Christ, they are aware of some amount of sin. There's no, you can't become a Christian if you're not willing to recognize you're a sinner. And to recognize you're a sinner, you've got to be aware of some sin, right? So for everyone, we come to Christ knowing there's some sin in my life, and I would just ask the question, faith is I want to and intend to try to stop that. That—that's what it mean. I'm turning from something to something. I was building my life on my desires. I was building my life on what pleased me. I was building my life on the fear of man, the pursuit of money, whatever. I'm now gonna build my life on Christ. I'm trusting in him. And so there's a from and a to that takes place. There's a, there's, I'm trusting in something. Now I'm turning from that to trust in Christ. And that's gonna necessarily change the way I act. If I'm if I'm putting my trust in money, that will affect the way I live. If I'm putting my trust in if I'm putting my faith in what other people think of me, that will affect the way I live. And if I'm putting my faith and trust in Christ, that will affect the way I live. I, I think the lordship issue largely came about to um, to address decisionalism. There was a lot of a lot of evangelism being done outside of discipleship, outside of churches, where people were making professions, decisions, they weren't becoming part of a local body, which the New Testament knows nothing of a churchless Christianity, nothing of it. You were saved into the body of Christ. As many as believe were baptized and added to their number. So the New Testament just assumes if you're born of God, you're gathering with other people born of God. You know, Not this church or that church, that's immaterial, but you are part of a body. But we have had, through a lot of parachurch ministries, and parachurch ministries are fine, but one of the unintended consequences through camp ministries and Awana ministry and other things is context more and more being created in the Big tent revival evangelism ministries where people are making professions of faith and there's no local body for them to be connected to. And then 10 years go by and there's no change in their life and there's no evidences of grace and there's no growth in Christ. And they're trusting in this decision they made 10 years ago. And that's where James comes along and says, that faith without works faith, that faith, that's not going to save you. So that, to me, is the, the, the crucial issue, is what is faith? And it's, or, or to put it, how do you know you've believed? And most people I talk to who, who haven't thought through this assume faith is determined by the existential experience of confidence. Like, I know I have faith because I feel it. I don't think the New Testament would back that up as the primary way. Like James says, show me your faith by what you do. I know what I believe by what I do. I know what I trust in by how I act. And so to me, those are the most helpful pieces I'm saying. It's not about a bar that you have to achieve. It's not about you've gotta be this righteous. It's about understanding what faith is. And with that, I'll let Pastor Daniel finish the question out. Um, it was a question about lordship salvation as it relates to uh, to faith and works. And um, Did you I'm give sure. him the answer? It, well, I'll let Dennis decide. But I'll...
1: Okay, so I I told Pastor Jeremy, he woke me up, and then I, I uh, went to Romans chapter, I think, 10, verses 9 and 10, where it says, if you declare with your mouth that he is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God uh, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I came to the conclusion, you can't make him lord you can't even make him your savior god works in your heart to do that but you can declare him as he is lord and he is savior and then god works in your heart through the holy spirit if you believe that he'll change you you're born again and you'll spend your whole life uh, he'll be working with you to uh, create you or make you into the image of christ Uh, because i was thinking the other day i'm just like sometimes like those the disciples, when they were in that boat, and the storm came, and Jesus was sleeping, and they about drowned, and they thought they were going to die, and, they, and, and I'm kind of like that. When I run into situations in my life that I need God, I go running to Him. Otherwise, some days, I'm the Lord of my life, it seems like, and that's sad. I, I, I'm hoping I'm not being that way as much now, but I, I only come to him when I need something. You know, and and I should be starting out the day saying, Lord, help me to do what you want me to do. And I I try to help me to do what you want me to do. I want you to have control of my life, my decisions, when I make my decisions, that I I want to follow you instead of just, you know, going to you when I have a a need or emergency. So I think it's important to declare that he is Lord and then realize what we, I'm not going to, you know, just because I declare he's Lord, then, you know, it's a process. Becoming sanctified, I think, is, so that's what we were kind of talking about.
2: Okay. Sounds good. I I didn't get a question. Was there a question I was supposed to answer?
0: He'd asked me if, basically, if, if, uh, if I thought the way he was formulating that was, if he was on to something that's, he was basically, tell me if you think this is right or something. Biblical, yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. And you already answered that.
0: Oh, yeah. And then
2: some. Great. Donna. (laughs) Thank you, Dennis. Oh, microphone. Hold on. Microphone.
3: I feel one of the uh, biggest problems with most people who think they're Christians, um, to me, they need to go from basic sin, everybody's sinning, to the personal thing. I think that's where it counts because if you tell somebody, I'm thinking of my mom. She doesn't think about herself being a sinner, but that everybody's a sinner. So you know what I'm saying? So I think, to me, the key word for becoming a Christian is the personal thing. Admitting you're a sinner, accepting Jesus in a personal way. And I think that's where people um, mess up. That's my opinion. I think it's the sin thing.
2: They keep it too general. They think of sin in Mm -hmm. general, people in general sin, Mm -hmm. but that's not personally connected to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, you had a wonderful sermon. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you <don't. laughs> You cracked me up <laughs> Allison will you give her a hug for me uh, yeah. <laughs> uh yes your your assessment is true I mean I don't know what percentage but it is a challenge for us to move from I know everyone in the world is a sinner to I know I am a sinner and even here are the ways in which I am a sinner Um, And until you can do that, you probably don't really get how bad you are and how much you need grace and how much you need Christ's righteousness. Probably. That's, yeah. All right. Any other questions? If not, I brought some fun reading to do. No, I'm just kidding. yeah we're on
4: um as a former catholic this really has a lot of meaning because this is how i was taught and so um, having gone through a catholic grade school in high school there really was not a um, difference between grace and works they kind of taught it as interchangeable and so that's where Um, As a former Catholic, you would easily mesh those two together, and it really never became a problem.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a a lot of teaching in the Catholic Church that is complicated, and we as evangelicals tend to make sweeping statements that they're probably true enough, but if you look closely, that's not quite what they're saying. Um, I I know R.C., when he taught that message, the one that Jeremy's been handing out, when he taught that message, he 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 said in the message, how many of you think that Catholics believe in salvation by works, not by grace? And my thought was, of course, that's what they believe. And he's like, no, that's not what they believe. Um, It's not that they don't believe that it's by grace. It, It is by grace. God gives you the grace to do the good works that save you. That's a pretty big difference between just saying they believe in works. No, no, no. God gave me the grace to do the good works. He did. And my good work saved me. And the works of Christ and the works of the saints before and the, treasure, the, what is, the treasury of merit. And we can draw from that. And it's like some of us are so good that treasury is filled by our good works. I See, I'm good enough for myself plus a little. No, (laughs) no, no. I don't think so. Not, uh, not me, anyway. All right. Other questions, comments, cries of outrage. Oh, Jeremy has a cry of outrage.
0: Okay, this mic's on. Excellent. It's fun being in the seat asking the questions. So, um, so this morning I heard you say, and I, I agree. Um, G- Galatians, if we're trusting in our works, we're severed from Christ, though you would be justified by works. we mm-hmm. I mean, hear James say um, a faith that is apart from work, a-, a faith alone by itself that doesn't produce works won't save anybody. And it seems as though we're naturally inclined to to err one way or the other. Any tips or thoughts for the Christian? That that's a pretty narrow knife's edge. Like beware you're trusting in your works lest you be severed from Christ. Beware lest you say you have faith apart from works that doesn't produce works, lest you aren't saved. And here's this medium middle road. Any thoughts or practical helps pastorally for how to walk that and avoid the two ditches?
2: Yes. <laughs> He's, the pastor's asking me for pastoral advice <laughs> <clears throat> um that's the only kind of advice I give <laughs> uh yes, okay, so James chapter two is easily misunderstood if you take it out of context, and even if you don't deliberately take it out of context, <clears throat> if you just pick verses it says something different than what you're used to. I mentioned it, uh, probably if I had it, uh, if I had an extra five minutes, I would have taken it on James. Um, But what James says is, if you have a faith that produces no works, that faith is a dead and worthless and useless faith. He is not saying, what you need to do is have your faith and add some works to it, and then that will save you. So, what he's defining is a type of faith. Does that make sense? A type of faith. What Paul is talking about <clears throat> is not a, t- he's not defining a specific type of faith. He is talking about noun, what is it, faith or works that saves you? Will it be the faith or will it be the works? James's adjective, what kind or quality of faith are we dealing with? So how do we you're asking, how do I not fall off one edge or the other?
0: Well it it just seems that with most Christians, myself included, I'm either veering towards beginning the trust in my works or veering towards doesn't matter what I do. You know, and and yet here's this both of those taken to an extreme, damn. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, so stay, staying away from those edges is is important. I was just, I, I just know from my own experience and others that that seems to be the challenge. Let, is let
2: me let me uh, answer this then differently. Hebrews chapter twelve, turn turn there. Uh, I had this not in the notes but in my notes. Uh, did, didn't have time to get to it. But Hebrews chapter twelve. <clears throat> Now, you all know what Hebrews 11 is about, right? It's it's the hall of faith. It is by faith, by faith, by faith. So probably, I'm guessing, I don't statistically know, but probably there's no chapter that talks more about faith than Hebrews 11. Now, okay, what does that result in in the discussion in Hebrews chapter 12? Well, I'm not going to read it all, but just look at verse 14. That's 12. Start at 12. 12, 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. Okay? Now, we've heard that before, right? Strive for peace with everyone. And then, and for, and for what? Strive for. Strive for peace with everyone and strive for, what do we strive for? The holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There is a holiness without which you cannot see the Lord. Now don't tell me that that's justification. That's not justification. Because if it is justification, it's totally meaningless and I cannot strive for it. You with me? If I cannot strive for justification, what is he talking about? He is talking about sanctification. He's talking about the transforming holiness in our own lives. There is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, what I take that to mean is I ought to be striving for holiness in my own life. I must strive for holiness in my own life. When I fail to strive for holiness in my own life, you read all of the book of Hebrews. That's what it's about. I run the risk of falling into a pit. I run the risk of hearing the Lord say, you shall not enter my rest. I run the risk of hearing there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. Those are all terrifying things. How do I prevent uh, myself from falling into that ditch? By striving for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. On the... uh, Greg.
1: I was just going to suggest to my learned pastor, Jeremy, that if he wanted to stay out of the ditch, he might regularly attend church at Martinsdale, become a member there, and be held accountable by all the people within the
2: church. Ah! (laughs) That was awesome. Amen. That's a very practical step you could take. That was fantastic. Does he do this for you all the time? I got a five-page document. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Now, okay, that was a little bit... Uh, that was a fun tangent, but it was a tangent. Your your question, I was answering that one side. Don't fall off the ditch of, I don't care, uh, f- my faith is going to save me even if it's dead. Don't fall off that side of the cliff by striving for the holiness the transforming work of the spirit in your life one of the ways you can do that is by joining a church and being held accountable by it okay second the other side uh, would be the danger of um, legalism the danger of seeking to be justified by my works don't deal with that problem the same way as you deal deal with the other problems. You're not striving for righteousness or striving for the holiness in that regard. There, what you're doing is you're depending on, you're relying upon the works of Jesus Christ and not your own works. Okay? Uh, Let me just explain a little bit. When I stand before the Lord, will I appeal to my own good works? Will I appeal to my own holiness and righteousness, which is real. If there's no righteousness or holiness in your life, something's wrong. You probably don't know the Lord if there's no holiness or righteousness in your life. okay, There is a holiness without which you will not see the Lord. But at the end of the day, is that holiness that is in my life what is going to save me? Will I stand before God and say, let me into heaven because... I'm now good enough. You made me good enough. You're so gracious to make me as wonderful as I am. (laughs) No, do not do that. When you stand before the Lord, what will your appeal still be even though you are holy, even though you have been transformed, even though God has worked in your life to make you less crummy than you were before and better than you were before? Your appeal will still be Christ's righteousness and not my own. Christ's work and not my own. That will be the grounds for which you, you plead for God's mercy. Okay? So don't fall off the cliff of, of uh, who cares, I want by striving for righteousness. Don't fall off the cliff of legalism by remembering that your dependence, your faith is in Christ and not in your own good works. Do you want to add anything to that or is that good enough? No, that's great. And remember what Pastor Greg said. I'll get right on that. I can't call him Pastor Greg very often, but he's a pastor. He's an elder, right? Elders are pastors, so he's
5: not liking this.
2: Okay, Kevin.
5: <laughs> the the way I've always looked at works, I guess, and correct me if this is wrong thinking, but I, I think works has a negative connotation to it more of looking at what we do as more obedience to our Father. Um, and it's obedience to, uh, in a worldly sense, our kids are obedient to us because they love us, yet they falter at that. Um, I think we ought to look at what we do out of obedience to our Lord and Savior, uh, what what he would want us to do. Um, works just seems like something we are doing and obedience seems like something we know we should do. Um, Well, okay,
2: that's fine, but when you actually do it, what do you call that?
5: Well, it is a form of working out your faith, but it's also obedience to what you know your Father has asked you to do.
2: Yes, you're, or if you're trying to distinguish between obedience and works, they're, they're, I think you're, you, there's probably not a need to because obedience is a work. Right. I get the connotation sometimes in our society might be one thing or the other. And so if you want to use a different word, like fruit, I think is a, is a helpful word. Fruit doesn't have that negative connotation. But when you go to a tree... A, cherry tree and there's no fruit on it you know something's wrong yep obviously you have to go in the right season okay okay, I get that but you know something's wrong if all the cherry trees are filled with cherries and this one is totally barren something's seriously wrong with it so you can use fruit to describe that obedience Um, you could use other words James uses works, Paul uses works, and so I think that word's probably going to stick with us
5: but, well I would, I would kind of go what Jeremy just said where we, we always want to go one way or the other i I don't think you can if if you or it, it helps me anyway to look at it as obedience more than just um, works, but it, it is the same mm-hmm. thing. you're right. It's not that I'm saying that works is wrong to use i just it helps me to realize. I want to be obedient. I want my kids to be obedient because they love me from their heart. Yes. Yeah, so, I think that's where yeah works comes from is yeah. wanting to be obedient.
2: Yeah, I I think maybe I get what you what you're saying. Works aren't actually works if they're merely external. It's not obedience. You know this from your kids. I I use this. I mean. Oh man, you get a lot of mileage out of this in junior high. Please go empty the trash. Fine, I'll empty the trash. And they go and they empty the trash. Immediately, promptly, and it's completely sinful and wicked and everyone knows it. But they did externally what they were asked to do. What's the problem? They were completely rebelling on their inside. Their heart was not a heart of submission and obedience. Their heart was a heart of rebellion and defiance. And I'll make you pay for asking me to empty the trash. Uh, Nobody's ever done that in this room before, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, obedience is not a good work unless it comes from the heart. And when James is talking about good works, he's not just talking about an external... um, Act of of obedience where the heart is disobedient. He is talking about an obedience from the heart that comes from, that flows out of the heart. That's true obedience.
5: Which I I think that's an evidence of, well, it's the only way it happens is by God working in you. Yep. Uh, Otherwise we wouldn't do it. Right. So that's another way of showing evidence or fruit of your faith.
2: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Obedience, sim- simply put, obedience is the clearest indication of real faith. It's an evidence of, though, not a requirement for, uh, if you put it ahead of it. So it's not like you're, okay, you're, you're going to hell until you add the obedience. Okay, now you're good enough. Now you're going to know. Uh uh. You're saved by the faith. Before Abraham circumcised, he is justified. That faith seals it. It's like the ring on the finger. It seals it. It's out external sign. Proof. You are saved. You have been saved. Not you are now saved. You have been saved. Okay. Other questions? A couple Couple here. Uh. Bridget's got one too. I don't know if there's two two mics or not, but all right, go ahead.
6: Um in my aging brain I can't remember, but isn't there a scripture that says something about your good works that that God prepared in advance for you?
2: Yes. Ephesians chapter two, verse what, ten.
6: What does that whole thing say?
2: Yeah, we uh, we looked at Did it. Did we do morning. that this morning? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
6: That's scary.
2: That... Okay. Hey, no, 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 no. That's why it sounds familiar. You started by admitting. (laughs) Isn't it a great verse? Uh, So verse 10 and 11, no, not 10 and 11, just 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
6: So does that mean that he has a specific work that I'm supposed to do and you're supposed to do?
2: there's a whole bunch of them it's it's i kind of think of it like this like you you want to uh essa has got a baseball game and he's got a whole bunch of bats that he wants to use and they're all brand new nice bats and he's got them all lined up and he takes the first one out and he hits a home run with it like sweet he goes to the shed. He gets the next one. He, and he's got all this stuff in there that he wants to use. He's like, that was fun, but I want to try this one too. God's created good works for us, like a huge shelf of good works for us to walk in. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much that you've got to figure out the 72 different works that he has for you. It's pick, like t- walk in these. Which one are you going to do today? Which one are you going to walk in now? Take them all, use them all. God's made them all. The way Paul phrases it that way so that it's clear, this isn't me good enough figuring it out and look how much better I am than you. This is all to God's glory. This is all because of his grace. So go walk in those good works that he's prepared for you to walk in.
6: And I think you kind of fight. Don't we all kind of fight? We're so busy. Oh man, we're not doing good works. I I gotta seek some out to do rather than if it presents itself like the person with no clothes and stuff. I mean, yes, you need to keep your eyes open, but that to me is the fine line kind Hmm. of Jeremy was talking about is, oh, this week I didn't do any good works because I was so busy. Yeah,
2: do not relegate good works to visible actions. There is a host of good works God has created for you to walk in that no one will ever see. Think about being a prisoner in communist China and having one little page of the Bible and you're reading that and you're relishing that one page of scripture that you have. Everything else in your life is miserable. What good works do you have to do? What visible signs? Nothing. Where's it all going on in your heart? You're, you're loving this. You're cherishing, treasuring God's word and God's truth. You're hoping in him. That is good work. That is a good work God prepared for you to walk in. Nobody, nobody's going to see it. I don't see you doing it. You follow me? Yeah. So don't limit yourself to thinking good works have to be seen by other people. Not, not so. Good works are seen by the Lord. Good, thank yeah. you. All right, Bridget.
3: Um, you know the verse that says where God says, "Well done, my good and faithful child." Would
2: we'll say that again.
3: The verse where God says, "Well done, my good and oh, faithful yes. child," when yes. you get to heaven, and. Um,
2: well done, good and faithful servant. Servant, servant. I don't think there's one that says child.
3: No, you're prob- you're you right. Know? I just misquoted the okay verse, but um, so you were kind of saying, like our sanctification makes us holy, right? Yes. Did you say that? Um, so is that, like when he says that to us, is that based on like the righteousness yeah. that we have because of our sanctification or because of him in us? Or?
2: Yes. Uh, yeah, good, very good point. When Christ tells the story of, he actually does this three or four times, I don't remember exactly, but he tells the parable of the, the talents that's the one that comes to my mind. The minas also. Uh, the, there's a few others that are similar. Parable of the talents. And he, he gives the um, <clears throat> first servant 10 talents. And he invests those 10 talents and he has 10 more. He says, well, well done, good and faithful servant. Like, good job. Why does he say good job? <clears throat> it's not his faith. It is his work. So when the application comes to us, when God says to us, well done, good and faithful servant, it will be because of the righteousness he has worked out in our lives, not because of our justification before, God, uh, before uh, through Christ. <clears throat> I stumbled there. It's not our trust in Christ that he is commending. It is the righteousness that's actually worked out in our life that he's commending. Now, where does that come from? It comes from a trust in Jesus Christ, but it's distinct from that. You follow me? Okay, so the answer simply is yes, he is commending sanctification. No, he is not commending justification. He's not saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm glad you trusted Jesus. He's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm glad that you bore the fruit of righteousness in your life. That makes sense? Now, Paul um, speaks of that similarly in 1 Corinthians 2, 3-ish. Uh, he says some of us are going to escape so as through fire. He says we're going to get into heaven by the skin of our teeth. All of our works are going to be burnt up and worthless, but we're still going to make it into heaven. That's a person who had genuine faith and almost no sanctification. Almost no sanctification. They were sanctified, but so little that all of their reward in, in, in eternal glory is burnt. So all they're left with is this, they, uh, all they do is get into heaven. I mean, obviously that's fabulous, but in terms of reward, everything they worked for is burnt up. It's, it's burnt. And then someone else builds with gold and jewels and precious stones, and their work survives the fire and they have a massive reward for what they have done so similar idea the sanctification is the basis for the reward uh in heaven um not entrance into but reward in heaven follow-up question or is that
3: yeah so um god won't necessarily say that to everybody
2: uh yeah that uh, there's no verse that says god won't say that to everyone I take 1 Corinthians, Paul's statement that some will escape so as through fire. I take that to mean probably that guy's not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He's going to hear something like, yeah, you wasted your whole life. Everything you worked for is now burnt. And there will be a sense of shame in that. And yet there will still be the acceptance and forgiveness that he has in Christ. Would you want to add on to that, Jeremy? Am I going too far by saying I don't think every Christian will hear, well done, and good and faithful servant?
0: Is this on? OK, I'm on. Well, certainly, I don't, I'm not aware of any passage that says every Christian will. And unless Paul's purely speaking of a hypothetical only in First Corinthians 3 and 4, then unless the guy who escapes this through fire because all of his work burned up will also hear, which makes well done, good and faithful servant kind of meaningless. Okay. So I I see no reason why we ought to think everyone does. And I see at least one case where it seems I can't really conceive of how that guy gets told that. So, yeah. yeah.
2: Another passage on that is 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, where he talks about the reward, the Bema seat judgment. And that is a judgment of rewards. And there he speaks of loss as well, the uh, losing of reward. So that's another passage you might... Uh, consider. Uh, I think, I don't remember who, or I don't know who was first here. We've got a, a Bob was? Okay. And then, d- then Dan, and then back to Wanda.
7: <laughs> it seems like as we've been talking about Solo Pide and Sola Gratia, that we're tending to limit it to justification, justification by faith alone, justification by grace alone, but wouldn't the reformers tend to look at it as uh, sanctification and uh, glorification by faith alone, and same thing with grace alone?
2: Uh, no, they, they probably wouldn't. Um, they're, they're different questions. So some of them, yes, they would. Others, no, they would not. But they're Battleground was justification. That was the war that they were fighting. Now, some of them spend time dealing with sanctification. But the Reformation was primarily over justification. How is one saved? Initially, how is one forgiven? How is one transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son? That's not a process. That's a moment. And that's justification. So the the answer to sanctification is not faith alone or grace alone. Now, if you want to say, well, the only way that you can be sanctified is because God first has grace on you and gives you faith. Yeah, sure, that's true. But it's not alone. You'd never say alone because what does Paul say? I worked harder than anyone else.
0: But I I have that verse on hand where he mingles grace and his works. Um, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, let me show you his grace. I worked harder than any of them. So Paul views his sanctification as him working in God's grace. But it's not grace alone. If by grace alone means Paul isn't busting his tail. He absolutely works harder than everyone else. Right. But it's grace.
2: Yeah. So it's not... Mm -hmm. Not grace. It's just not grace by itself. There is more to it that we're called to add to it, essentially. That's not justification. That is not our merit before God. But we do not sit around and let go and let God. That We do not do that when it comes to our sanctification. We work. But we doesn't, strive.
7: Doesn't that relate to the concept of we walk by faith and faith has... True faith has works that necessarily come with it, but it's still the faith. It was by faith that yeah. Abraham offered his son in Genesis 22. Yes. Uh, and yet, and Paul, I think he refers to that as part of the example of, of it was accounted to him for righteousness.
2: Yeah, so here, here's, here's my question. Do you think that James would say sanctification was by faith alone? Because James says it is not by faith alone.
7: Now, I actually think he would say it's by, by faith alone, as I also believe he would agree with Paul. Sanctification? Yeah, as I believe he would also say that Paul would say uh, that works are part of your faith.
2: The, the, you, yes, it's like the fire and shining. You can't separate shining from fire, like you can't separate faith and works.
7: I came to church today out of faith, I drove down here, I used, used my car, I worked to get here, but I, it was all done in faith.
2: Absolutely, but what was it different than the guy who said, I don't feel like going to church, I'm going to sit home and watch football, and I don't care what my wife needs, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing.
7: Well, he didn't have true faith. I mean, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he didn't have the revelation of God that said it's important to go to church on a regular basis.
2: <laughs> well, he does, he just ignored it. He
7: ignored it, that's right, he didn't have true <laughs> faith.
2: Yeah. Uh, but back to the, the initial question of, is, is it everything by faith alone, by grace alone, or is it justification? The answer would be the reformers would say justification by faith alone. They would not say sanctification by faith alone. Even as you said, I got up this morning. Would you have been sanctified if you said no, 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 no? You would not have been sanctified, right? You That's would great. have sinned. That's correct. Well, then it was not by faith alone. It was faith and your obedience to that faith. That's distinct from justification, which is not your obedience to something or your work of something, but it is your trusting in something else, which is the opposite of work. It gets a little complicated, and I see there's overlapping spheres there. But yeah, Jeremy, Bob, I. I, I... I think the point
0: is we all agree, works necessarily will accompany and follow faith. Paul wants to make the clear distinction in Romans 4, Abraham was justified before the works that would accompany it showed up. Justification didn't wait for the works that we all knew would show up with faith. The second he had faith, he was justified. That's the alone. Sanctification is made up of those works of faith. I mean it's it's what is sanctification? It's faith working itself out in love as I become economically and functionally like Christ. So the distinction of the alone is Paul wanting to zero in. Yes, these works accompany, but I want to show you that before the work ever accompanied he was declared righteous. It was just the faith. We make no such distinction with sanctification that I'm
2: that I'm aware of. All right. Okay, Dan.
6: I came to church early this morning because Pastor Jeremy scheduled the choir to sing on the day when I could have got an extra hour of sleep.
2: (laughs) Wow. Is he like this all the time? How did uh,
6: Rome square it with the day they crucified Jesus that the thief next to him who was crucified also had no opportunity for works?
2: I'm not, well, okay. Uh, Rome wouldn't need to justify that because he could spend time in purgatory to be cleansed of anything he was missing. We need to to deal with him. But the simple answer is, did he do the works that were before him? He, He had, what, three hours or something? That was it. Of his Christian life was three hours did he do the work that God put before him yeah God had a small closet of good works for him a three-hour closet and he walked in them he rebuked the other thief he declared his own guilt before men so much so that that it's recorded in scripture for all eternity I mean that is a good work I don't have any of my words recorded in here, <laughs> he did. Uh, that is a good work, but he did. He was faithful with what God put before him. It is not the quantity of good works that you do; it's whether or not you do walk in the good works that God's made for you. That's the proof. But three hours, you're not going to have a ton of proof, right? Um, but that's that. That's where it is now. D- There's silly hypotheticals like, what if he died the second he believed? Then would he go to heaven? Well, of course he would go to heaven. You're not justified after you do the good works. The good works prove that you were justified. So if somehow, hypothetically, God wasn't sovereign and you died immediately upon trusting, where do you go? Well, you go to heaven. That's not any of our problems. The problems we all deal with are I claim I was saved 17 years ago and have lived like a devil ever since. Yeah, that's dead faith. That's, that's where I think most of us are, are you know, struggling, not with I died the second that I believed and so I'm not sure where I'm going. Yeah. Follow-up or is that good? Ron? I, I don't know. Was that right on this question? Or do you have a new one? Where, did you want to follow up or ask a new question?
4: Um, I just want to make a comment.
2: On what Dan just asked? Yeah. Okay, go ahead.
4: Um, based upon Catholic belief, it wasn't necessary for he, the other thief, thief the to do anything because he was absolved from sin by Jesus. And so Catholics believe, for example, you are supposed to go to a confession once a month. And so our thinking as young Catholics was that as long as we died within that imaginary parameters of going to confession, you go right to heaven. And then they have the category of venial sin and mortal sin. Yeah. So um, the, the works isn't necessarily a requirement because, for example, when they have last rites, a priest can forgive your sins without any opportunity to do any works.
2: And you received the grace through that sacrament. Right. The uh, extreme unction. Extreme unction, yeah. Yeah.
4: And it's also Catholics have, when I grew up, um, you're told that you're born a Catholic, you go to heaven as long as you don't die in mortal sin. And so I grew up amongst a lot of non-Catholics, and so they talked about predestination. And so for me... It's easier to be a Catholic and work my way into heaven than to risk a gamble on the predestination. <laughs> what a,
2: yes. What a dead way of thinking, huh? <laughs> okay, there is, I think, one last question. Oh, okay.
6: My mind's getting simpler all the time, as you know. Okay. So to me, the person who everything burns up is a dead tree. So why? So there's my question. To me, that's a dead tree because everything I've heard today, I always thought that, that verse meant it's somebody, like you just said, who received Christ on their deathbed.
2: Okay, yes, let me, let me answer it briefly because we're out of time. There are, you know what a tear is? the wheat and the oh, tare, yeah. the parable of the wheat and the tear, tares, there is very little difference between wheat head and a tare head until you see the fruit. But if you're standing at a distance, you can't look and say, oh, here's one and here's the other. In the church, there are believers and unbelievers Some of us will be shocked on the last day to find out so-and-so really was saved. Some of us will be shocked to find out, oh, so-and-so wasn't saved. God will do that sifting out in the final days. And he's the one who's going to determine you had nothing on your foundation, but you had a foundation. Or you had no foundation at all, and you're going to hell. He'll figure that out. I think the author of Hebrews would tell us, be very scared if there is nothing on your foundation at all. If everything you built your life on is worthless, be scared. So I feel comfortable saying that. But in the end, God will sort out who had a foundation built on Christ and who had no foundation at all. We can't always tell the difference in this life. Some of that God will have to sort out in the next life. Okay, let me pray. You're welcome to stay and ask more questions, but let me uh, dismiss you. Lord, thank you so much for your word that teaches us this gospel that we do not have to rely on our own goodness. We do not have to rely on our own transformation to be saved, but we can put our trust and our faith in you that through the work of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven and we can be made right with you. And I I praise you for that truth and ask that you would help us to walk in that truth. That we would believe that and therefore bear the fruit that is in keeping with repentance. That we would bear the fruit of the Spirit, not in order to get saved, but because you have been so gracious to save us and forgive us of our sins. May we do that to your glory and not our own boasting. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Thank you.